0: A reading from the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. I see uh, many, actually, new faces here. It's a joy to have you join us for worship here in person, and for those who are at home. Thank you for joining us today. It's my honor to introduce actually a guest who's going to bring God's word today. It's the Reverend Dr. Aaron Clifford. Aaron uh, became friends with Carly and me probably around a decade ago in London. At that time, uh, she was on staff at a church called Holy Trinity Brompton. If you were doing the Bible in one year with us, um, that's the church that puts that out. If if you're doing, uh, or if you've done Alpha or the marriage course with us, that's the church that puts that out. And so Aaron was on staff there. And uh, in addition to that, she was a professor of homiletics over at St. Malitus Seminary. She then moved back to the States and is now serving as the director of spiritual and missional formation at uh, the Center for Spiritual and Missional Formation. Did I get that right, Aaron? At Fuller Theological Seminary out of California. For some of the women in the room, you may remember she led our first women's retreat. So um, she's been with us before. Would you uh, welcome Erin back to Charleston with a round of applause?
1: Thank you, everyone. Um, Hello to everyone at home um, and everyone in the room. It's great to be with you. I always Love getting the chance to spend time with this community. Um, and so, yes, many familiar faces. And also hello to those of you who I haven't met before when I've been visiting. Um, so today we're going to be talking about suffering. Cool. You're saying great. Great. I'm very familiar, Aaron. I've got my own stories. I've been through a lot. So, you know, I hope you've had your coffee this morning. Um, no, we're going to talk a little bit about suffering. And specifically, I want to just share with you some of the things that I did in my in my research. So, so Paul said, I'm a, a, a doctor. I just finished my doctorate of um, missiology, which is a fancy word for saying intercultural studies, studying theology across cultures. And I myself grew up in East Africa as a kid, so Africa has a huge place in my heart. So when I was going to start researching, I wanted to do it in a place that I loved and across a culture. So I chose to do it in Kenya, in a community called Mathari. Mathari is an informal settlement, uh, which is what we used to call a slum, and now they tend to call it more of an informal settlement uh, to kind of acknowledge the dignity of the communities that live there. Um, But it's one of those places in the world where people are living on, you know, less than 50 cents a day. And some of you may have traveled around the world and been in other informal settlements, other kind of urban poverty communities in different parts of the world. And so you'll you'll recognize some of the themes of what I'm talking about. But essentially, I used to work in an organization called International Justice Mission. And it's an anti-slavery organization, the largest Christian anti-slavery organization in the world. And one of the things I noticed is that, as a staff person, people used to come into my office. Men and women, different ages, would come into my office. They knew I was a pastor, and so they'd come to me and they'd say, you know, Aaron, I just, on the side, I wanna ask a few questions about suffering. (laughs) You know, here we were looking at stories of of people being rescued from trafficking and modern-day slavery every day. And we had prayer time every day as a staff. All 250 of us would pray for these cases. And so at one, in, in one point, in one place here in Washington, D.C., we were having, that's where our headquarters was, we'd be having staff come to me saying, Aaron, I'm losing my faith. I'm looking at the suffering of the world, and it's causing me to question, is God really good? Is God really powerful? I'm seeing that 40 million people are enslaved today, and doesn't God want to do something about that? And I'm beginning to lose my faith. So I had these conversations with people on one hand. And on the other hand, we had these survivors, survivors of of human trafficking, people who'd come out of slavery, all different ages. And they came out with a faith that was very intact, a faith that was so resilient, so joyful, was such a foundation of the belief in God's goodness, that God was with them. In fact, one of my favorite stories is of a, of a woman who uh, we had rescued from trafficking out of Thailand. She was a young girl. And when we rescued her, she had in, written on the wall next to her bed, Psalm 27. This psalm that talks about God will rescue you. You will see his goodness in the land of the living. And when she was rescued, she realized that that was God rescuing her. And she said, I believe God is good. God rescued me. So I had this juxtaposition, right, of these, of, of some folks living in the West, living in maybe, maybe more comfortable settings who were struggling with their faith when they were seeing this suffering. And then people who'd been through the actual suffering, whose faith seemed to be so resilient, so joyful. And I was like, what's up with that? (laughs) That's a deeply theological question you can ask as a, as a priest. What's up with that? And so I want to know what was up with that. And so I thought, if I'm going to study anything, um, I'm going to, I'm going to study that. So I decided to look at a community called uh, Inmathari and look at Christians there. So I went to Nairobi, spent some time in this community to ask, what is their theology of suffering? So as people who've been through vast amounts of suffering uh, themselves every day, what do they believe about God? How do they hold on to their faith? What are the questions they ask? Are they the same questions that I ask in suffering? What do you ask in suffering? When you're going through a difficult time, what are the questions that pop up in your mind. And maybe you asked them this morning or this week as you put your mask back on, as you, you know, wanted to hug someone and couldn't. Maybe you were asking questions. There's a lot of traditional common questions that are, we call the questions of suffering. Things like, why me? Right? In those moments. Why me, God? I pray. I go to church. Why me? Sometimes we ask the questions, God, if you really loved me, why wouldn't you take care of the situation or heal this person that I love, or reunite this marriage, or whatever. We often ask questions about where, how to solve suffering. You know, God, how do I get rid of it? How, can, how do we change this whole situation that we're in? And I know we've all asked that across this year for sure. So I wanted to go to this community and ask those questions. But not only that, I wanted to find out what keeps them resilient in their faith. Like maybe there's secrets that they have that I don't have about how they stay joyful in their faith how they stay connected to God. Are there certain ways they pray? There's certain things they do when they're going through a difficult time that connect them to God easily, to God's presence in those moments when you're wondering, God, are you even still with me in this moment? So Mathari itself, we we don't have time for me to tell you everything. In fact, I was telling Paul, I'm, I'm actually here in Charleston because I just finished uh, four hours of lecturing on this at the Ridley Institute, which is over at St. Andrew's Church. It's a lay theological school. So there's some folks who sat through four hours of this. <laughs> You've got 15 minutes. You can handle it. Um, so I'm only going to be able to give you some of what I found, but I hope it's encouraging and I hope it's hopeful to you to learn from Christians in, uh, in this other part of the world. So let me introduce you to Mathari. It's about three square miles. It's the oldest informal settlement in Nairobi. There's lots of them in Nairobi, some that have a million people in them, but Mathari is the oldest. So within three square miles, you've got about 500,000 people, more than 500,000 people. So they're living in very close quarters. Um, Next slide. Like a lot of informal settlements around the world, Mathari has no infrastructure, right? So it's got no electricity except what's been kind of piped in from wires nearby in very, in very interesting forms. You see wires hanging everywhere in very creative ways. There's no sewage system there's no plumbing, there are no streets, no paved roads. So there's a river that runs through the middle of it, which you're seeing here in this picture, and that river is a place for bathing but also washing pots but also a public restroom. And when the rains come, the the mud sort of flows everywhere all throughout the community, and the trash goes everywhere. And um, So it's not an easy place to live. And I give you that context not so that you now feel sorry for the people in Mathari. They're an amazing community of believers and of people. But so that you understand, this is is what they're in the middle of, and and their resilience of faith is is truly inspiring in the middle of what they're experiencing. So Mathari has all kinds of things that you might imagine in a community like that. There's, There's some crime. There's all different kinds of stories of suffering. And I wondered when I went to the community if their stories of suffering, that they'd share them with me right? Because who am I? I mean, I'm a Mazungu, which in Swahili means white person. <laughs> so in fact, you go through the streets of Mathari and little kids are Mzungu, Mazungu, Mazungu, you know, um, yelling at me as you go down the street and wanting to like touch my skin and things like that. Um, so who am I? I'm an outsider. And I thought, would they share their stories with me? And they were so gracious to share their stories of personal suffering with me. So one of the things I asked was, what is your story of suffering? One of your, you know, your kind of life story of suffering that you think of when you think of that topic. And I'd ask the same to you this morning. As I asked that question, if I'd been sitting across the table interviewing you, what would be your story? That is maybe the story you carry. And it's probably on the tip of your tongue. It's probably a story that you, you could share with me very quickly because that story of suffering are always right there, right? Right in front of us. And so they were the same. They shared their story pretty easily. And so what I asked them was, when you're in that time of suffering, where was God? Was God with you? Did God feel distant? Where was God? And over and over and over again, they said, God is with me. God was with me in that time of suffering. And I would say, okay, God was with you. How do you know God was with you? And they said, well, he was in my community. He was in my community. And Africa as a, as a culture across, I mean, it's a huge continent, right? You can fit the U.S. and Germany and France and China and India, all inside Africa, so it's huge. But as a generalization, Africa on the cross-cultural scale tends to be more communal than we are. We're fairly individualistic when it comes to kind of studies of culture in America, but they're very communal. So I wasn't so surprised that they would talk about community as a support in the midst of suffering, but I hadn't realized that's where they were gonna say that that's where they felt God, that they knew God was present. None of them said God wasn't with them. Now they did say, I felt like God may have been distant. I may have felt in moments and questioned, God, are you with me? But then I always knew he was with me because of my community. And they said over and over again that because of their church, because of a neighbor, because of a family member, because of a friend, that's how they sensed God's presence with them. And for me, this was one of the most important findings, especially to talk to my friends in my own church about in the West, especially in the U.S., Because I think when we go through suffering, we pull in, right? When we go through times of suffering, we actually sometimes kind of become more private. We pull into ourselves, sometimes out of shame, like, oh, I shouldn't be going through this. Or maybe this is too embarrassing to share with someone, you know, or even just the act of being in a depression and kind of coming, going into yourself and not having the energy to share it. But I think also as Christians, we sometimes do this. Just when we need community the most, just when the church is kind of, should come into its own in our life as a place of support, that's often where we pull in as Christians because we think, oh, I shouldn't be struggling, right? I should be joyful. I should have peace. You know, why isn't this whole Christian thing working for me right now? You know, why can I not get my anxiety to slow down? And we kind of pull into ourselves. And one of the things I was thinking about is so often people say to me, especially here, especially in our, in our country, God isn't with me in my suffering, right? I can't sense God in my suffering. Well, what if it's because the one place that God is trying to show up for us, we're pulling away from? What if the presence of God is actually in our community, and that's where we could actually sense God with us, caring about us, not abandoning us in our suffering, but it's the one thing we pull away from? It's like the old story of the guy who's on the roof, you know, and uh, his community floods. And so he goes up to the roof and a a helicopter comes by and says, you know, come aboard. We're going to help you. We're going to save you. And the man says, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian. I've prayed. God's going to save me. You can move on. And the helicopter moves on. And then, you know, a boat comes by and the boat says, jump down. I'll save you. The waters are rising. You know, you've only got so much time. And he says, wait, I'm a Christian. God's going to save me. Go away, you go find someone else. So eventually the waters rise and the man dies. It's just a story. And he goes to heaven and he's talking to, uh, you know, a saint in heaven or something. And he says, you know, I thought God was gonna save me. And God says back to him, I sent you a helicopter. I <laughs> sent you a boat, you know. I sent you these things to be, that were my presence. That was my rescue plan, but you, you didn't see it. And I think sometimes that's the way it is with community. Community is a huge source of resilience for us in suffering. But often it's the one thing we push away when we need it the most. There are a lot of theologians that talk about these questions of suffering. And one of the things they say is, we actually ask today questions of suffering that were never asked before. In fact, the New Testament and the church in the New Testament asked very different questions of suffering than we ask today. And it's only in the 17th century, since the 17th century, that those questions changed. So the church through the ages asked the same questions of suffering until we get to the enlightenment period. I'm getting a little academic on you, but stick with me. Um, Only till that period when we started to think everything could be solved, right? Everything could be explained. Everything could be packaged to our understanding. And so we started asking different questions of suffering. So today, the questions we often ask of suffering are, where does it come from? And how do I solve it? Right? How do I get rid of it? But the questions that the early church asks of suffering were these two. How do I resist evil? And how do I persevere in suffering? And you see the difference. One is about solving it, controlling it. Why don't I have the power to get rid of it? Why doesn't God have the power or love to get rid of it? But the early church didn't bother with those questions. They said, no, we just need to ask, how do we resist evil, which is causing all the suffering? And how do we persevere in it as a community? And one writer says it's because they understood themselves as a church to be a community of care. They understood that their whole role as a community was to be a cushion for the suffering of each other. A place that each other could land in that suffering. They weren't meant to try to solve it together. They were a community called to suffer with, not to solve the problem of suffering together. The church was a community to suffer with to be a cushion for one another in those moments, not to be a group discussing how to get rid of it or how to solve it. Because let's be honest, that's above our pay grade. <laughs> and one, one, uh, one writer says that that's part of the problem is we've lost our identity. When we ask our questions of suffering, how do I get rid of it? How do I solve it? It shows a lack of our understanding of our identity as creatures. We've been created. We're finite. We have boundaries. We only have so much power or control, and that's part of what frustrates us, right? Let's be honest, (laughs) especially across this year, we realize how little power and control we really have, and that is really hard for us because we want so badly to be in charge of everything, but that shows that we have a misunderstanding of who we are. We're creatures created out of love and for purpose, but we're not the creator And so we only have so much power, so much ability to solve this sort of problem of suffering. That's not actually our job. But we are meant to ask the questions of, how do I walk through this, God? How do I walk through this? How do I persevere in it? How do I remain faithful to you in it, Lord? And maybe that's a prayer for you today as you're thinking about your own story of suffering or someone else's that might be on your heart this morning. Maybe someone's suffering you would love to wipe away if you could with some 409 and a paper towel. (laughs) But actually, maybe the better question is, Lord, how do I be community for that person right now? How do I become a community of care for that person instead of someone next to them trying to problem solve with them how to end that suffering? One of the things that I heard over and over again from this community is that God was with them in their suffering but also that their suffering helped them see God. They said to me again and again, well, Jesus suffered. It's normal for a Christian. Why, you know, in fact, sometimes they looked at me like, you're a priest, aren't you supposed to know this information? (laughs) You know, and I'd ask them like, well, where does suffering come from and who causes it? And is it good or bad? They sort of looked at me, you know, and they kind of looked at my friend Ezekiel, who is my translator, who's from Mathari. They look at him and go, like, where'd you get this lady? (laughs) Where'd you get her? But I asked them, where does suffering come from? And they said, it doesn't come from God. They were adamant, it does not come from God. It's part of evil, part of the brokenness of the world, but it has a purpose. And over and over again, they said, it has a purpose. There was an entrepreneur that I met, a businessman, and as I was interviewing him and I asked him, is suffering good or bad? He said, shida ni walimu, which is a Swahili phrase, which I'd never heard. And my friend Ezekiel quickly translated, suffering is a teacher. Suffering is a teacher. It was a common phrase in Swahili that no one had said to me yet, but it summarized all of what I learned from this community. Suffering has a purpose. It teaches us something. It's not from God, but God uses it for our good. One of the ways he uses it for our good is to show us himself, to teach us about community. Lastly, one of the spiritual practices, one of the points of resilience they had was gratitude. Gratitude. Over and over again, they told me how grateful they were to God for what they had, and that when they were in suffering, one of the ways they got through it was actually to think about what they'd been given by God, to focus not on their lack, but to remember that God is a God of flourishing and generosity, and to focus on what they did have. I'll finish with this story. As I was coming into one of the churches to interview a few of their lay leaders, I was interviewing a woman. She was a widow. She was raising six kids, not all of whom were her own, but some that she'd taken in from the street. She had a vegetable stand on the road, which often got washed out by water. You know, she was already struggling financially herself, but she ran a widow's ministry for 250 widows out of the church. An amazing woman. And as I came in to do the interview with her, it was a Baptist church. I walked past the kitchen and I noticed through the doorway that there was a mattress on the floor. And there was a woman in there with two little kids and they were eating breakfast. So I went in and I sat down with Mary and I was talking to her about her own story. And she said that she'd been struggling financially even to be able to put her kids in school. She didn't have all the school fees that she needed. And as I asked her about her ministry, she said, oh, well, this woman here in the kitchen, she's an example of our ministry here at the church. She said she came to us last night. She'd been kicked out of her house. Her husband hadn't paid the rent, and he'd left her and her two children, and so she had nowhere to sleep, and so we told her she could sleep in the kitchen, and I got her a mattress, and she'd slept in there last night. He said, she said, she's a Muslim. She's not a part of our church, but she knows she can find help here, and I said, oh, and she said, I brought her breakfast this morning. And I said, oh, do you have like a church fund? You know, <laughs> very Western question. Do you have a church fund, you know, that you bring money from? How did you give her breakfast? And Mary said, no, 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 I, I paid for her breakfast. And I said, well, you've just told me you don't have money to, you know, pay for your kids to go to school or even to have three meals a day. And she said, well, God has given me so much. How could I not share that with her? And so again, I asked a very stupid question. I said, what do you mean God has given you so much? You know, explain that to me. And she said, well, I have a roof and she has no roof. She said, I have a roof and she has no roof. How could I not offer to her what God has given me? Gratitude. Gratitude was a powerful force for this community in the midst of suffering, a huge source of resilience for them. What area of your life are you having trouble being grateful for? What do you need from God this morning to be able to walk out of gratitude for what God has given you? Let me pray for us as we finish. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that uh, suffering is, uh, is normal in the life of a Christian, Father. And we, we know that all too well from this year, And so, God, as we come to you, we bring you whatever story is on our heart. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a health issue, a relationship breaking down. Maybe it's an area of the world that we have on our hearts this morning. But we bring it to you, God. We lift it up to you knowing that we are finite. We're your created. We're given life in abundance, but we're not given everything to solve suffering. And so we ask, Father, you would... Help us be people of prayer that continue to bring these situations to you, the one who is all-sufficient and all-powerful and all-loving. God, if there's anywhere that we have forgotten that you're good, that you're a good father, we ask, God, that you would remind us what it looks like to see your goodness in the land of the living, to let your goodness pass before us. Father, we pray that as we've been created as a community of care, would you show us how to be that for one another, God? We're not always great at it. (laughs) We're often caught up in our own stuff, but we know, Father, that you've given us one another to cushion the blow of suffering in our lives. So we pray, God, you'd show each of us someone around us that might need us to be their community of care even today. And lastly, God, would you turn the compass of our heart from maybe a place of resentment and dissatisfaction to a place of gratitude. God, we struggle when we look around to be grateful, but we know, Father, that you are always working for our good. So would you help us, like these Mathari brothers and sisters, to be people who choose gratitude in the midst of suffering? And we thank you, Father, that as we bring these supplications to you, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.